Scott McNamara with What's New in Adaptive Physical Education. Uh, in a moment, uh, I'm going to share a really special uh, podcast episode that was recorded almost a month ago now uh, with Dr. Barry LeVay, uh, who's been on before. He's at California State University, Long Beach, uh, and he's done another episode with Dr. Jeff uh, McGubbin, um, and uh, he has another one with Dr. David Peretta from the Ohio State University, and the first, it's a two-part episode uh, where they're going to talk a little bit about Joe Winnick and Dave's own uh, research and his own journey in the field of APE. I think it's a really, really nice um, conversation to talk about uh, a recently passed giant, Joe Winnick, uh, as well as talk about David Perret and all the great things he's done in our field. I am at work today. I came in to grab my computer, actually, so I can bring it home. Uh, because of COVID-19, as I'm sure all of you are aware, and even if you're listening to this in a year from now, uh, are probably going to remember. Um, I just wanted to share my really brief thoughts on this before we get started with this episode. Uh, I hope everyone is safe. Uh, I hope everyone's anxieties are down uh, as far as they can be um, during this time. Um, and as we are moving forward and trying to find resources to try to help fill our students and college students or K-12 students' um, needs, uh, we are, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, our own personal safety and, and such first and health. Um, so I just hope everyone is safe. I will continue to try to give resources out. Uh, and if you have things for me to share uh, on my Facebook page or anything like that to try to help people out, please let me know. Um, these are troubling times and uh, we need to band together to continue to deliver effective and quality APE services and also professional development and training for our in-service and pre-service APE teachers. All right, with that, I'm going to let Barry LeVay start talking to David Peretta about uh, how amazing Dr. Joe Winnick was. Hi, everyone. As uh, Scott mentioned, uh, this is Barry LeVay, and I will be moderating this podcast once again. And I want to thank Scott for the opportunity, and I certainly want to thank Melissa for all her help with the technical aspects of the podcast. You know, I'm really excited about the podcast today because uh, I think it's unique and somewhat different from other podcasts we've had in the past. I'll be having a conversation with uh, David uh, Peretta, who will be sharing his thoughts about uh, Joe Winnick, who passed away last summer. And, and, you know, Joe was a real pioneer giant in AP. And Dr. Peretta was a good friend and professional colleague of Joe's. And and they worked together on different projects, including um, they were co-editors of the AP and Sport book uh, published by Human Kinetics. And we know that book is one of the most widely used resources in the field. So in the first part, Dave's going to be sharing his insights about Joe Winnick and his many contributions. And then in the second part of this podcast, Dave's going to discuss the book, um, which is currently um, moving into its seventh edition of of development and Dave will share about the progression of the book and over the different editions and years but also what the readers can expect from the new 
seventh edition and and also some other insights about uh the book and the book chapters such as ancillaries and things of that nature but before we start um i want to provide some information about dr peretta and his accomplishments because he's had a real very distinguished career in ape so uh, Dave is a professor emeritus at the Ohio State University, right, Dave? We had to get that the in or the Buckeyes would be calling us up, right? And uh, from 1990 to 2015, he served on the faculty at OSU and AP. And Dave's contributions to Adapt2P are, are many and quite impressive. And I'm just going to list a few of his accomplishments and He's a um, fellow member of the American Academy of Kinesiology, and that's the who's who of Kines. Uh From 2002 to 2006, he was the editor of our flagship journal in Adaptive APHQ. That's a nice accomplishment. Um, he received the uh, Hollis Fate Scholarly Contribution Award for his recognition and, and scholarship with the consortium. And perhaps most impressive is in 2017, he received the Shape uh, Julian Stein Lifetime Achievement Award. Although Dave is retired, right, you still stay really busy professionally. And as I mentioned, he's currently co-editing. Uh, he's a co-editor of the very successful AP and sport book. So Dave, welcome. Thanks for agreeing to come on the pad podcast and, and share your thoughts about uh, Dr. Winnick, who was a real giant in the field. And then also uh, your insights about the very successful AP and sport book published by Human Kinetics. So we're going to start with a discussion about Joe Winnick, who, um, you know, Dave knew quite well, both professionally as a friend. And throughout this first part, we're going to discuss many of uh, Dr. Winnick's accomplishments to the profession. But before we do, I'm going to ask Scott Scott to post on the podcast website the testimonial that was written about Joe that was published right this past summer, Dave, in, in Palestra, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, right. And so Joe's perhaps best known for his AP and sport book, which is, you know, widely used resource in the field and it's even been translated into five different languages. We'll discuss the book. Uh, in the second part, but in this first part, we're going to talk quite a bit about Joe's other significant contributions and, and the tremendous impact he had on the field. And I know some of these um, impact that, that he had on the field that a lot of our audience may not even be aware of. So Dave, um, you ready to share some of this information? And um, why don't we start with how you got to know Joe at uh, Sony Brookport. Um Interestingly, right, Dave, even though you're younger than Joe, you both grew up in upstate New York. You both ironically studied at Ithaca College and Temple University. And so you have that connection, right? So yeah. why don't you talk about how you got to know Joe? Okay. Uh, I met Joe in 1978 at a consortium meeting, and I believe that consortium meeting was in Rochester. It was a special uh, workshop that they had going uh, with regard to uh, the development of leg uh, Public Law 94-142 and uh, legislative efforts. But I really didn't get to know him until I took my one-year appointment at Brockport in 1981. Uh, during my interview for the job, I, I learned then that we were from the same general area in upstate New York, and 
really only about 25, 20, 25 miles apart. So the same year, uh, I had a tenure track offer at uh, Eastern Michigan University, but elected to take Joe's offer of a one-year appointment in Brockport. Uh, at that time, I was already married, and we had one child, and some really questioned my, my decision about taking that one-year appointment as opposed to a tenure track appointment. But I really knew that one year with Joe would uh, really pay dividends to my professional career later on, and it really did. Uh, during my Brockport year, Joe and I did a number of professional development workshops that were grant-related because my, uh, my, my job, my position was really uh, coordinator of the uh, personnel prep grant and, uh, and doing teaching in the master's program. Uh, so we did a number of workshops uh, around New York and New Jersey that required us to uh, do a few overnight trips together. So I got to know Joe quite well. Uh, I do have a story that I'd like to share with you that I, I think is sure. quite amusing or that uh, might find amusing related to the workshop travels. So I, don't, I hope you don't mind me sharing it with you. Sure. Um, Go ahead. It was uh, great. It was, it, it was uh, early evening on our way back uh, to Brockport from a trip to New York City. And we were passing through his hometown in upstate New York. And we said, okay, yeah, we're hungry. Uh, let's stop to get something to eat or find a place to eat. So, of course, Joe knew this great chicken place and suggested that we stop. And I said, okay, great. Uh, I thought we would eat, you know, sort of in, uh, in the restaurant or, uh, or do takeout. Uh, but we decided to do the takeout, and we were eating in the car. So we each ordered a box of, uh, of chicken and a drink uh, at the takeout window. Uh, and so we continued on with our trip. And Joe continued to drive, and uh, I asked him if I could help him with his food, you know, you know, help him with the, arrange his box and his drink. And he said, oh, no, 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 that's, that's not necessary. And so I took my box, and I placed it on my lap. I got my, out my napkin. I put the straw in my drink, found my fork, opened up a container of coleslaw, took a bite of my chicken, then sipped my drink. And then I glanced over at Joe, and all I saw were chicken bones, and he's licking his fingers. <laughs> I said, Joe, I said, did you chew your food? He said, yeah, boy, that wow. chicken was good. So from then on, when, we're, when we were together professionally and with other people, he would tell people that I was the slow eater. <laughs> yeah, wow. Oh, dear. <laughs> it, a great never, story. He never... Uh, he, he never uh, stopped uh, to uh, make sure he uh, put a little humor in, in things. Uh, so I just thought I'd share that, that with you. Yeah, that's great. Only, yes, Joan. Yeah, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, not only uh, – so we stayed connected professionally, but we also maintained a friendship as well that spanned for about 40 years. I believe it was due probably not only from, you know, being from the same geographical area, but probably attending the same universities. Uh, our family stayed connected over those years as well. Uh, so, for example, Joe had a, Joe's son, Jason, att attended Ohio State. 
uh, for his doctorate in exercise science in the late 90s and early 2000s. And I'd see Jason on a fairly regular basis on campus. And of course, we'd invite him to the house for meals and get togethers. And of course, Joe would come to Columbus and visit Jason and Joe would stay at our house and for a couple days. And so we had an opportunity to spend time together, not only professionally, but personally. Right. That's great. You know, what I think is really interesting, you know, you showed the human side of, of Joe, but what I think is really interesting to a lot of um, maybe young professionals out there that are in higher ed uh, was that you were willing to take a risk and uh, saw the importance of, you know, what you would learn working with, with Joe for that year and, uh, you know, gave up a tenure track uh, position. So not a lot of people would do that. So that was, um, I, I think that was a good to share with the audience. So you had mentioned that you were on this, this grant with Joe and, and Joe was a prolific grant writer. And uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but in 1968, he started the first master's AP program in the U S uh, through federal funding. And so over the next 30 years, he generated over $30 million in grants. So Dave, can you share your thoughts about his, um, you know, grant writing to promote the, the program at Brockport as well as the AP profession? Uh, since you worked on one of those grants, what would you learn from Joe that helped you in your career in securing grants, you know, in the future? And also perhaps talk yeah. about your research endeavors and how Joe helped you get started or mentored you that way, you know, not only just in grant sure, writing, sure. just in the research process. Sure. Um, as you said, you know, Joe was one of the first to apply for and obtain a program funding and adapted uh, physical education from U.S. Department of Education. And uh, being at a smaller university like Brockport with limited resources, programming, program funding, of course, was key to offer you know, unique programs, fund master students, get the attention of administrators and others from across the country. Uh, what I think was unique was uh, Joe's acquisition of uh, continual funding almost over 40 years. Now that's quite astonishing uh, across both personal preparation and research. And uh, while there were a number of other people across the country who have or and who have and are successful in obtaining funds, I, I really don't know of anyone who can claim such a long sustained grant record. So that's truly unique. Yeah, uh, thirty plus years, Joe, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was well connected early in the early years. He was real connected with people at US Department of Education like Mel Lapel, who um, mm -hmm. who uh, was director of the research area and Bill Hillman was the director of the personnel prep area. Uh, back then, the federal agency under Department of Education was called uh, Bureau of Education for the Handicapped, BEH, right. uh, now known as OSERS. Uh, and uh, what really, I think, what really helped Brockport, the Brockport program nationally and internationally was hosting the uh, 1979 International Special Olympics in Brockport. That brought a lot of attention to that small school, and right. uh, and uh, then uh, that helped him, I think, continue continually uh, be able to continue on with uh, with acquiring grants. 
and you know, the 70s and early 80s was a time of significant growth in the adapted area. Uh, so a number right. of universities were competing for um, uh, training grants. And so these training grants were really uh, crucial because they jump-started a lot of academic programs and adapted PE, adapted physical activity across the country. So that's, I think, uh, really, um, with his initial grant writing, uh, was able to get Brockport really a, such a small school on the map. Right. Uh, how big, like, I think a lot of, of, of our audience doesn't realize how small like, Brockport was. Like, how, how many students, like, at that time? Oh, it, back it had to then, be under 5, I think 000. when I was there, back then it had maybe four or 5,000 students, maybe. Right. I'm, yeah, it would be, like, considered a Division three type school. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, well, that, yeah, uh, he certainly was instrumental. And, and you know, you, you brought up Bill Hillman, uh, who had a real impact on our profession. And, and because he was uh, out in Washington, D.C. in charge of those professional development grants. And that's a name that people should know. And, and the consortium named an award after him, the Hillman, you know, service award. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I think the other thing that's interesting is with Joe's ability to secure grants, it helped him bring in young professionals like yourself and others to teach at Brockport, and like people like Ron French and Paul Jansma. You know, is there anything else you would like to share about Joe's skills as a grant writer or mentor to young faculty who, who um, you know, are coming in on grant writing? Like you made that well, point about being connected, yeah. how important that is. Yeah, I got I was involved with a um, personnel preparation grant at Temple when I was a doctoral student, and I served as a project coordinator. So I had some involvement with grants prior to Brockport. So I think that's probably mm -hmm. one of the things Joe took into consideration when offering me the job at Brockport. Um, and uh, during my Brockport year, uh, I learned how Joe worked and got to know his program, and he gave me a lot of opportunities to take the lead on, uh, on, on a number of things, and one was a major grant that it was actually a contract back then. Early that year, um, the Department of Defense announced the completion, a competition, I'm sorry, of their dependent schools uh, to offer a summer experience for their PE teachers ar around the world. And it was essentially a three-month contract to bring about, bring about, oh, 25, 30 teachers to campus for a week of professional development. So uh, Joe asked me if I would apply, if we should apply. So I said, you know, of course, sure. So he said, okay, you do it. <laughs> so I put together <laughs> the proposal, and Joe provided the edits and feedback. And there were four, about four other established programs at the time who were in competition. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was TWU, uh, I think it was Slippery Rock, and Michigan State, mm -hmm. and maybe Georgia. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the, the reason we got the grant was not because of me, but because of Brockport, and it had the best program infrastructure at the time, or at least we convinced right. EOD we did. Since, uh, yeah. since Joe was well-connected with people across campus, uh, and in the community, it was fairly easy to secure dorms, meals, and travel arrangements, and so on. So, the grant sure. was only the only grant was only for twenty thousand back in nineteen eighty two, but that was a fair amount of money. 
In today's mm-hmm. dollars, I just looked uh, the other day on the computer. That's about fifty thousand dollars in today's money. Right. So uh, yeah. not only did I have the opportunity to write and secure federal funding with Joe, I was able to be you know directly involved in his personal training grant. Uh, so right. uh, that was training grants, but we didn't really work on any specific research topic while I was at Brockport uh, that year mm-hmm. because my duties were teaching grants and service. But Joe knew right. the importance of publishing and really encouraged me and allowed me to get my dissertation published and plan a follow-up study. So those are some of the added things that, uh, that I was able right. to experience there. Now, you mentioned so, something about uh, bringing in new professionals, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, like Paul, Ron French and Paul Jansman, that some of their first yeah. jobs were at Brockport, like, like yourself. Yeah, in the early years, you know, these personal training grants, uh, it was popular and acceptable to include money for full-time, what they call project coordinators. And uh, yeah. typically, positions were like maybe one to three years. And in the early years, uh, it was in early 70s or mid-70s, I believe, he hired Ron French, uh, who then went on to Utah and TWU, and then Paul Jansma, who would eventually be my colleague at Ohio State. Uh, right. Both had exceptional careers. They, they, they progressed through the ranks to full professor at these uh, research-intensive universities. And interestingly, right. uh, both co-authored a popular APE textbook following their stay at Brockport. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they went special on. Special community book, yeah. Yeah, they both went on to have really exceptional careers. Then I think in the, once they left, I think it was around 1977, he hired Frank Short. Frank right. was completing his doctorate in Indiana and was serving as, uh, served as program coordinator. Uh, and then Frank remained at Brockport for the remainder of his career. And then, of course, he ended up as the college dean for many years. And uh, he recently retired a few years ago. Uh, so those are the people, the full-time people, of course, in addition to me, who he hired and mentored. Uh, right. And just, Joe referred to these full-time grant positions, or at least he referred them when he was talking about them. He mentioned to me that these were actually postdoc positions, he'd call them. Mm-hmm. Right. These, uh, these many term appointments over the years, I think, really allowed him to be a mentor to young professionals uh, just out of their doctoral, pro- doctoral program, and he got great satisfaction out of that. Sure. Yeah, he had a big, uh, obviously, you know, based on what you're saying, he had a big impact on the university and and the community. And, and I think the other thing that's really impressive is because of his grant writing over the years, it provided financial support for uh, master's level pre-service program, you know, students like you're talking about mm-hmm. it. And the number of yeah. master's students Joe supervise and mentor is pretty impressive. Like you look at some of these people who went on to be real leaders in AP, for example, people like Jim DePape and Justin Hagel and Kathy Houston Wilson. She's now chair at Brockport, Luke Kelly, uh, Mike um, Kosup, who's there at Brockport, and Garth Timerson. Those are just to name a few. Um, can you discuss how Joe was able to bring in so many good students and his ability to m- mentor those students? Um, some of these younger audience, 
you know, the younger audience here listening to what's new and adaptive team may not be familiar with with some of these names. And maybe you could yeah, talk yeah, sure. a little bit about them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, initially, when way back when, in the in uh, at least what Joe would tell me, uh, back in the uh, in the seventies, um, Joe funded these master students uh, on his grants who were completing their undergraduate programs at Brockport. So they were just right. they were a, actually a uh, a cohort of students who were readily available, and he really didn't do much publicizing about it because he would acquire these undergraduates who are good undergraduate students and encourage them to apply and to uh, get into the master's uh, grant program. And then uh, later he would fund students from other undergraduate programs. I think once uh, he had more uh, publicity on the, uh, on the Brockport program and it was more uh, developed. Uh, but in any case, any of these students had to be really good students and hard workers for Joe to fund them. He just didn't, he just wouldn't fund anybody. Uh, right. Not just, you know, there, there was one time when I was there one year, he, he just wouldn't fund a, a slot just to fill it. He, he was quite particular who he funded. Uh, and mm -hmm. as you know, uh, the people who uh, just uh, you referred to eventually went on to complete doctorates and have very successful careers in their own right. You know, Jim right. Ape, uh, he had a successful career. Uh, I believe he had faculty appointments at the University of New Hampshire, University right. of New Mexico. He, I think he's now at Central Washington. And, right, he uh, just recently retired, yeah. He just oh, retired this, this spring. Yeah, yeah, I know he was <laughs> in central administration or a dean for, for right. many years mm -hmm. there. Uh, yeah. Luke Kelly, uh, after his doctorate at uh, at uh, TWU. TWU. Yeah, mm -hmm. he went to Michigan State for for a few years, working with Janet Wessel, and then went on to direct the AP doctoral program at University of Virginia. Right. Uh, Luke and Lou, of course, Luke just retired as well. Right. <laughs> so we're getting on in years, Barry. You know. Sure. Uh, both, yeah. Uh, both Mike Kozub, who's now at Brockport, and Justin Hagel. Uh, Justin's now at uh, Old Dominion University. They, uh, both of them completed their doctorates at Ohio State and are now making significant contributions to the field. Um, mm -hmm. And then first following their doctor work, Kathy Houston Wilson, as you mentioned, took the position at Brockport, and she's been department chair for a number of years. Right. A successful administrator. And Garth. Uh, Timerson, uh, he completed his doctorate at, at TWU as well and was in charge of the University of La Crosse master's program for many years. Now, he was real successful in continuing to obtain uh, federal grant funds until his retirement right. last year. So both Garth and Luke held leadership positions also as presidents in the consortium. And, right. uh, and for and, uh and with regard to uh, the presidency, Luke, when he was president of the consortium, was really responsible for getting the APENS, uh, Adapted Physical Education National Standards, off the ground. He was right. able to get a uh, to get the feds to fund a grant for its future development. So Joe really graduated uh, many many students, and he also graduated many master students who took jobs 
in uh, APE, as APE teachers within New York and across the country. So one thing that impressed me most about when talking to people, uh, like uh, talking with people like Luke and Mike and Garth, it was the admiration they had for Joe. All of them really remained fairly connected uh, throughout their years. That's great. You know, I I think the other thing that, uh, people wouldn't realize is what I think is really impressive is Joe spent his entire career at Brockport. I mean, yeah, from 65 right. to 2017. I mean, that's, we're talking over 50 years and, you know, he was the distinguished service prove- professor there. Um, and it's interesting, the number of tenure track faculty members he helped recruit at a small school like Brockport and many with a strong background in adaptive PE. I mean, you look at their, their faculty and I'm always amazed that, you know, we mentioned Frank Short, who's retired now, but like Doug Collier is still there. Mike Kosup, uh, Lauren Lieberman, you know, uh, Maury Samalit, Riviera, Kathy Houston Wilson. I mean, the number of just people in eight that have strong backgrounds in AP that are on a, a small faculty like that, you know, is, is pretty impressive. Maybe you can share your thoughts about Joe as a faculty mentor, you know, in his 50 years yeah. there at, at Brockport. Sure. Um, well, uh, while I was at Brockport, Joe gave me, a, uh, provided me, like I mentioned before, a number of opportunities, not only for me to continue my personal research and writing, but immersed me in grant writing and teaching. Uh, He provided me the structure to do it. So think about it. You know, here I am, a new PhD, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, grant employee of Joe's. And of course, I wanted to make uh, a good impression on him, right? (laughs) Joe was very, uh, was very, uh, uh, was very consistent in his work structure. So for example, you know, Monday through Friday, he was in at 8, lunch from 12 to 2. Most of the time, it was at Wally's Diner. And then from right. 1 to 4, 30 or 5, it was just working, you know. Uh, three days a week, if I remember, it was about three days. There would be noontime basketball. He wanted to play basketball. So every, you know, three days a week, we'd have noontime basketball with the faculty. And uh, his competitive side really came out in some of those games. Uh, and most every Friday at uh, 4.30 was our was happy hour. So Joe, uh, Joe would say, okay, 4.30, you know, let's go for a drink or two. So it would be Joe, Frank, me, and maybe some master students. So of course, I had to keep the same hours as Joe, right? Uh, <laughs> and uh, that worked out as providing, you know, giving me a structure to uh, know what was expected of me and uh, to get a lot of work done, really, during the day. Uh, He might be in the office on Saturday if there was a special program or grant proposals or reports due. But when he was in the office, uh, there was rarely any small talk. It was completely, uh, was completing work for the day and the tasks for today. So uh, he gave me sort of a structure. Interestingly, Joe, Joe rarely took home, work home with him. And if he did, it was just, he got a bunch of papers and, Put it, tucked them under his arm and walked home. So he didn't have like a briefcase or anything like that. Wow. I mean, it was, uh, let me just say, working with Joe that year was really invaluable. 
when looking for my next job and throughout my career for him providing letters of recommendation, publishing opportunities, and connecting me with other professionals. So, you know, he was really a great mentor. Yeah. Yeah, he he certainly, like, was a hard worker. I mean, that's one thing, you know, when I think of Joe um, and stayed on task. So let's let's talk, Dave, a little bit about Project Target Unique. Like, let's uh, change the topic a little bit. And this eventually became what the audience would know as Brockport Fitness Test. And so this project, like many of the things he did, it started as a major federally funded grant, right, to explore fitness alternatives and collect fitness data for youth with disabilities that um, he worked on this closely with Francis Short. Um, I know when I was a doctoral student at UNM, that's how I first got to know Joe. He, he was good friends with my major advisor, Dr. Ernie Lang, and, and we got involved in helping collect fitness data with Project uh, Target. You know, when I was a doctoral student and the paper with doctoral students, we went out. And so what, what are your thoughts about Target Unique in those early years of fitness testing? Um, for example, I think a, a lot of the audience wouldn't realize it was one of the first efforts to really collect fitness data throughout the United States. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, interesting that you mentioned Ernie, Ernie Lang. <laughs> he and yeah. Joe go way back, you know. Both right, were on sir. the ground floor with personal training grants, and, you know, they liked their uh, socializing. You know, they did their mm-hmm. fair amount of card playing and uh Drinking at the consortium meetings, you know, they they did right. business with pleasure. They were a pair for sure. Uh, you bet. I didn't have much. I didn't have much direct involvement in the research grants, you know, Project Target mm-hmm. and Unique. Uh, my first involvement was with Frank in about I think it was seventy nine, nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty, when uh, Frank was looking for research participants for uh, Project Unique data collection. And that project unique was, uh, I believe, was like the fit, physical fitness of orthopedically and sensory impaired youth. Uh, right, so correct. So we traveled yeah. to the Philadelphia area and looking for data collection sites. And at that time, as I, I think I previously mentioned, I was a doctoral student at Temple. So um, that's how uh, I started with, uh, with, with unique on, on a very uh, limited basis and helping, actually helping um, Frank uh, get a, get an in with some of the school districts, right? Uh, and so yeah, I think that's uh, how a lot of us got involved. You know, was yeah. that they were collecting data all over the country. You know, yeah, so I know there were a lot of yeah. That, I know Frank and Joe both work real hard to acquire a sufficient number of participants for data collection, and mm-hmm. you're right, it was a very big project. I, uh, they, I was just looking back at some of the uh, information in, the, uh, in some, uh, some of the manuals and uh, project target and manual and so on, and I mean, geez, they had over 12 field sites, including New York City public schools and Houston public right. schools. Uh, and they had like 50 field testers. Uh, I mean, it was a big, it was a big operation. Right. And it was like one of the first to really collect fitness data throughout the United States. Yeah. It was interesting. Um, you know, and then, uh, but a lot of people don't remember that, you know, unique or target. 
because um, later I would work on a committee with Joe and others like Jan Seaman and John Dunn and, and to talk about alternative fitness items in the 80s and 90s. And that was kind of a, a big deal because a lot of alternative fitness items didn't exist. And it was really like Joe and Frank's early work, uh, you know, the, with Project Target and Unique where we used a lot of their alternative fitness items that they came up with. That was kind of a unique concept um, in the 80s and 90s. And, and so then eventually Joe and Frank would develop the Brockport Fitness Tip. What do you feel are the major contributions of that assessment tool to the profession, which, you know, it still resonates today, you know, regarding the Brockport fitness? Um, I think, um, let's see, I think there are probably two major contributions. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, the uh, One, I think, is the philosophical shift from norm reference testing to criterion reference right. testing. It's, uh, sure, good point. You know, um, and then I think the second was, and what we already mentioned, the comprehensive nature of the test. Uh, it included all major disability areas of kids from 10 to 17 mm -hmm. years of age. Um, yeah. So prior, and you mentioned prior to, to the Brockport Fitness Test, uh, criterion reference tests were only available for persons without disabilities. And so, you know, this was a, a very comprehensive test, and it included uh, appropriate uh, validity and reliability measurements as well. So uh, it, was, uh, it was pretty expansive. Right. Yeah, I think the audience doesn't realize the, the, the shift they made with criterion reference fitness testing. In, in, the, in those 80s, you know, it was really looked at like most fitness tests were norm-referenced and product oriented and and the the idea of having twenty seven alternative items, you know, that you could choose from. Yeah. Yeah, was was quite a shift in, in a lot of people philosophically thinking. But I think a lot of us in those days realized, you know, we gotta do something. It, it, it's you know, the, we're getting zero scores, nothing's happening. And you know, when you get a basement effect, you know, it doesn't really help you if you're trying to program for for children with disabilities. So, yeah, that was a major contribution. Um, are you aware what the future holds for Brockport? Um, are there any thoughts of, I, I know they made one revision um, a few years ago or renorming, you know, the test. Yeah. Been any talk about that? or? As far as I know, Barry, uh, prior mm -hmm. to his, Joe was attempting to secure sources and avenues to update the test. Uh, what he talked to me with, to me about was one option was to develop a, a committee of interested shape professionals. Now I don't yeah. know how far that's gone. Um, mm -hmm. The person who would probably know the extent of its revision is, is Frank. Uh, Frank of course right. is now retired. Uh, the difficulty, and Joe, you know, Joe mentioned this to me. I mean, the difficulty of revision and updating was the immense amount of work that went in to get it done originally. You know, there's a sure. lot of time and energy by a number of people uh, to get it done. And so a revision would involve revising and updating the test items, uh, standards, probably through mm -hmm. more data. And I, I hope it gets done, um, mm -hmm. but uh, that, was, that was a major uh, undertaking. Uh, and sure, H big project. H I know that HK who published the te publishes the test. I, I know they're very right. interested 
in its revision. So that's about all I know right now about uh, about yeah. revising, updating the test. So let's let's talk a little bit about Joe' uh, involvement with the consortium, and and some of our audience may not even be familiar with with uh, what the consortium does. And I know that that Joe was really, as you mentioned earlier, he, he helped develop the organizational structure of the consortium. He helped draft yeah. the original constitution. He served as the fifth president. Um, what what can you tell us about the consortium and Joe's contributions, and also? Uh, Joe's leadership style when he was working, you know, uh, with the consortium. Sure. Um, as you as you already mentioned, he was one of the first presidents and was really influential with the feds for um, updating uh, 94-142, which of course is now called IDEA. And in the early years, sure. the, the consortium's focus was really entirely on grants and legislation. And both research and professional preparation across both physical education and recreation. Uh, and the annual meeting was attended uh, most exclusively, exclusively by project directors interested in acquiring grants and getting inside track on, uh, on that information. Uh, so while there is still interest in the grants and legislation now in the consortium, it's much less so than in the early years. Uh, just to, and talking about Joe, just a sidebar, uh, for those who uh, are interested in history, I made a presentation at the uh, 2015 uh, consortium meeting describing the mm -hmm. history of the consortium from uh, 60, 1967 to 2015. And they included a PowerPoint of the presentation on the consortium's website, and it includes uh, some of the information you're, you're, you're alluding to, talking about uh, Joe uh, uh, helping to establish the consortium and developing the Constitution and so on. So, you know, um, Dave, if you send that uh, to us, we'll have Scott. He could post that up on the, the podcast, oh, okay. you know, on the blog. So let's do sure. that. We'll we'll put those those slides up there, and especially for some of those uh, younger audience that are not familiar with you know the consortium and the impact they had on ninety four one forty two and making sure that physical education was in the law. Um, sure. So yeah, like Joe really with others made some major contributions there that uh, and why we still exist today. Um, you know, one of the things I want to end a little bit with is Joe was unique. Uh, I mean, the last conversation I had with him, he was in his 80s and I was talking to him and he was still excited about the field and contributing to the field. What do you, what do you think kept Joe so motivated over the years? Because I know you worked closely with him with the additions of the book that we're going to talk about in the second yeah, part. But, um, personally, I think, yeah, I think, um, uh, his motivation, I think, came from seeing major projects completed. It, it, Joe was mm -hmm. a big picture person. He was a big picture type of thinker, whether it was yeah. the Rockport program, developing that, writing grants, uh, developing and publishing the Brockport test or the AP and sport textbook. You know, even right. though he had health issues for about 10 years prior to his passing, I think it was around 10 years, uh, his mind was right. sharp. And he would always ask yeah. me, uh, 
about the seventh edition, you know, about the AP and sport book. How is it shaping up? And of course, I would always provide them uh, my 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 input, and you know, I always provided as a you provided me with his opinion on one aspect of the book or the other. So, uh, I think yeah. it was those big. I think it was those big um, big tasks that he had. Those significant. Right. Uh, contributions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for everyone for joining us for part one, and, and we hope you'll come back for part two. Um, you don't want to miss the next part because Dave's going to really share about the AP uh, textbook and, and what the audience can expect from the seventh edition. And so we'll be talking about that in part two. Thank you.